Hello everyone, welcome to Night Voices Episode 2. My name is Kaylee Pasternak and I will be taking you guys through the best podcast of this month. To kick off this episode, reporter Louis Caldron dives into this year's Halloween rules. The tradition of Halloween is seen as a fun or spooky time of the year for many people. The details about Halloween, such as the candy or the decorations or the parties, but what makes Halloween special for all is being someone who you want to be. The ability to dress up in any costume that you want to be to express what you love is a great touch to the spooky season. But when school falls on a weekday, which it happens to this year on a Monday, which isn't the best, it changes the whole mood of Halloween. How the school responds to the yearly tradition is what can make Halloween a fun day for everyone. Now the real question is, should costumes be allowed in school if everyone abides to the safety rules? Mrs. Burquist, a science teacher, says what she thinks should be allowed. I do, I do, because I think a lot of people who are more confident than me can put on a costume and express themselves better. And I think that's important. I do. I, I like the creativity, I do, but I just not for me. But no scary things in school. No scary things. According to the source on the internet, the main cause usually for why schools wouldn't allow costumes in schools is because of usually cultural or religious concerns. Mr. Levinson, the division head of student success, safety, and wellness, shares what he has to say about why schools wouldn't allow costumes in school. So the only things I can think of really are things that are just not appropriate, whether they be, you know, uh, alcohol or drug related, things like that. It could be things that are um, are where their their people's identities are not uh, definable. We can't see who a student is. We can't have that <clears throat> just for safety purposes more than anything else. Otherwise, for the most part, it's nice to have kids have school spirit and and, you know, be able to dress up for the day, you know, because, again, to me, you're still kids. You should be able to be kids, you know, as long as possible. But again, it just depends on what's happening. We definitely don't want it to interrupt the, the academic environment, the learning environment. That's the big key, you know. Yeah. Around 27% of American adults think that students should not be able to wear costumes at school. That is a pretty low number showing that most people think that costumes should be allowed. Mr. Levinson explains what he thinks should be allowed and the rules that would go along with that. I To me, I, I'm, I'm okay with certain things. I think, obviously, for safety purposes, people should have their faces uncovered so we can identify people. Um, they have to be age appropriate. They should be school appropriate, right? But I don't really have a problem personally, but it's it's not my decision. It's a school decision. It's a district decision. So the A team will be talking about it in the next week or so. It's a little early yet, right? 3.1 million children usually dress up for Halloween. Teenagers are still considered kids, according to Mr. Levinson, and think they should be still allowed to have fun. Declan Lawler, a sophomore, says what he thinks should be allowed. Do I think Halloween costumes should be allowed? Absolutely, because uh, I think it's a great way for people to express themselves, and as long as it's not taking away from learning, uh, because I think the primary function of school is learning, so as long as uh, your costume's not taking away from learning, or um, really uh, being uh, not school, as long as it's school appropriate, I feel like, a school appropriate costume should absolutely be allowed. If costumes were not allowed in school, there would be some Halloween traditions that Prospect does that is usually along the lines of spirit days and the clubs or teams are allowed to dress up for something called Haunted Halloween, which has been a tradition at Prospect where these teams sponsor that day. 
Mrs. Burquist talks about some of her favorite traditions around Halloween time at Prospect. Be doing, you know, in terms of traditions, I like how you guys have your Halloween thing where the little kids come and and things like that. I just did Prospect Gives Back. That's one of my favorite things to do, um, and that was on last Saturday. Um, but in terms of your regular traditions, we'll just see what happens. It is a very good reminder to make sure to stay safe and not disrupt the learning experience in a classroom setting. Mr. Levinson talks about if someone chose to wear a costume on school on Halloween and what that would look like. Uh, it's your, your decision and just be, be safe, be smart. Don't cover your faces. Make sure it's appropriate, school appropriate. That's not going to interfere with the the, uh, the learning day because it is an important day. We have to, have to keep learning, you know, whatever, just because it's Halloween or whatever. So just to make good choices, that's all. Wishing you an eerie and spooky Halloween. This is Louis Caldron reporting for Night Voices. Next up, reporter Kaylee Pasternak takes a deep dive into the Illinois safety laws. The Safety, Accountability, Fairness, and Equity Today Act, or Safety Act, is an over 700-page bill that was signed into law on January 21, 2021 by Illinois legislator and has recently become popular on social media as the Purge Law, according to NBC5 Chicago. And while some of the bill, such as when the police can chase somebody and use force, has already gone into effect, according to law teacher Brock Collins, there are new changes coming in 2023. Uh, regulating police interactions with civilians, it's regulating body-worn cameras, uh, obviously there's the regulations on pretrial release. The biggest changes with this bill are the elimination of cash bail or monetary bail, a requirement that all police officers wear body cameras by 2025, and a ban on all police chokeholds. Scott Moreth, a recently retired police commander, has some mixed feelings about this new bill. You know, I was a little surprised just given the circumstances around how it was passed through the House in Springfield. Some of the changes set forth, uh, I'm behind. You know, it, it talks about um, training for law enforcement, necessary training for law enforcement. And to Marath, this bill might be adding some unnecessary steps to the process. Morath recalls listening to Governor Pritzker use an example of a single mother stealing formula and diapers and getting caught and then being stuck at the police station because she couldn't afford bail. But he says that wouldn't be the case. We had situations like that happen all the time in the Plains, And we, as a police department, had the luxury of issuing what we call an I-bond. An I-bond is a promise to come back to court on a specific date and time to face what you were charged with and doesn't require any money to get set loose. You know, if I was, if I was sitting at my commander desk and someone came in to me and said, hi boss, we had this woman arrested for stealing diapers and she's had, she has her baby in her arms with her. Do you think I'm going to say, oh, make sure she goes to the to county jail tomorrow for a bond hearing? And Marath feels like this bill may take away options from police officers in situations like that. Although there are small issues within the bill, according to Marath, there are so many good things that will come out of it, according to both Marath and Collins. I think it makes a lot of sense to take especially like low-level misdemeanor offenses um, and not tie it to money. 
There are certain offenses that you can be charged with where if you were convicted, you would actually spend less time in jail than you do just waiting for trial. Another pro is timeliness, according to Marath. He talked about how it takes hours to get into the police systems. So by being able to issue a citation on the street, it may free up time of the officers so they can spend more time in the community. And while some may be worried about the monetary effects of this bill, Colin says that is not what we should be focusing on. Are we talking about economics or are we talking about human rights? You know, I think a lot of times economics get wrapped up in that conversation. Um, but we're talking about like real people, humans that interact with our governments and, you know, they have civil rights that I, th I think should also be considered. Overall, this law has many pros and cons, but it's been attached to lots of misinformation, according to Marath and Collins. So the biggest one I would say is that the second this bill hits, they're emptying the jails. You know, that it was going to be like a real live purge situation where like, you know, uh, batten down the hatches, close the doors and windows because they're going to empty the jails. People are going to be running like crazy people, you know, murdering and, and maiming folks. If you've been sentenced uh, and you're in jail on January 1st, 2023, you get to stay in jail. So they're not emptying the prisons. A huge factor to the massive misinformation are fake newspapers showing up on people's doors, according to Collins. For example, the North Cook News, a newspaper owned by conservative radio host Dan Proft. There are many people that would read that and be convinced, like, I've got this newspaper and it says that, you know, the purge is coming. Obviously, politicians have seen this as something that they can gain a political win on, but like at what expense, you know? The democratization of information, the fact that there aren't, like there's not one trusted news source for most people, it just is, it's harrowing to a degree. Collins and Marath suggest looking the specific law up and reading through it and also making sure to check with multiple sources before jumping to any conclusions. This is Kaylee Pasternak reporting for Night Voices. Next up, reporter Dean Carlson takes an investigative look into the mysteries of Dungeons and Dragons. Next up, here's reporter Juliet Aquino and Knights for Consent Club's Domestic Violence Awareness Podcast. We at Knights for Consent uh, wanted to let our listeners know that the following audio contains mentions of physical abuse as well as mental abuse and um, mentions in eating disorder as well. The following podcast was created with the intent to raise awareness um, on the subject of domestic violence, and the whole goal of the club, Nights for Consent, is to raise awareness on topics relating to consent and to make 
Prospect High School a safer and more welcoming community and environment. So please listen to the following podcast because we know these conversations can be difficult, but having these conversations are how we stop these events from happening. Hi, my name is Julia Aquino, and I'm a senior that runs Nights for Consent here at Prospect. Hi, I'm Hannah Lipton, and I'm also a senior that helps run Nights for Consent at Prospect, and we have two guests with us today. You guys can introduce yourselves. Hi, my name is Candy S. I am an adult domestic violence counselor at Wings Program. And hi, I'm Jill Amati. I uh, am an administrative assistant here at Prospect with Mr. Marindola. All right, so uh, Ms. Amati, could you tell us a little bit about your experience um, with domestic abuse and how that affected your childhood? Uh, yes, uh, as a very young child, um, my father was um, an alcoholic and very physically abusive to my mom mainly, but then also my older sister and I. My sister is four years older than I. Um, And so he was um, very abusive, a lot of hitting, um, a lot, just a lot of damage in the house. Um, And finally, when I was in second grade, my sister was in sixth grade, my mom finally told my grandma and grandpa, and um, we left with luggage in hand, and we walked a mile to where my grandma and grandpa lived. Um, I knew that my that the reason it happened wasn't my fault, that it was my mom needed to get away and that my parents didn't like each other. So that was the initial start of everything but didn't realize the impact it had on myself or my sister. And Candy, with your work, how do you see children affected by domestic violence? Oh, goodness. Um, A lot of health concerns, mental health, depression. Kids who very young are suffering from depression, PTSD, um, anxiety. Sometimes it manifests itself physically. Kids will complain of headaches, stomach aches, just general aches and pains that don't seem to come from any particular source. And there's some research to show that long-term chronic health problems like diabetes and things like that, um, heart disease can be associated with just the toxic stress that happens when kids uh, grow up in households where there's domestic violence. Got it. And Ms. Amati, um, so since realizing that it was abuse that you were experiencing, um, what sort of coping strategies were you utilizing to get through that? Well, I was pretty young. Right. Um, or even as you grew older. Yeah, as I grew older. It took a long time to figure out how to do it. Um, I was more known as the toughie of the two of us, even though I was younger. Um, but it wasn't until I was a lot older that I realized what was wrong with me and my psyche Um I did realize um, in the last 10 years, I had these aha moments because I did need psychiatric care old as I was older. Um, I always was very, very heavy and realized that somewhere between fourth and sixth grade that I really was bulimic. Um, And I did lose a great deal of weight, but 
losing weight and trying to figure out the whys. So that's how it physically bothered, you know, it hit me. Um, I did never, one thing I knew is I hated guys that smelled like alcohol that were going to touch me and I wasn't going to let that happen. My sister was a different story. And how were you and your sister later affected in your life by your childhood experiences? Um, the guys that I chose to go out with, um, they all seemed to be very kind. Um, if anybody was mean to me, I was able to dismiss them. Um, and however, that was as a teenager and on, um, I was very lucky and um, ended up with my husband. Prom was our first date, and, and we stayed together. Um, and I'm married 38 years now. Aww. My sister, um, how it impacted her, we didn't realize. Um, but every guy she ever went out with from high school on, um, they were all physically abusive. And she felt that that was normal and that was love. And so verbal or physical abuse, she thought that that was okay. Um, and so the story went on from there. Right. And Candy, in your experience, how does um, like this childhood trauma uh, relate to how people grow up into adults? Well, it definitely, what you said about your sister, we, we see even with clients of mine who grew up in abusive homes where it was normalized. And so... They repeat the patterns, and so you will find people who were victims of duty when they were children will be attracted to partners who perpetuate the same things. But sometimes we even see where kids who witnessed or experienced DV actually turn out to be the perpetrators if they don't get help because that aggression and rage, I think, and even sense of control, they then, which they didn't have when they were kids, they then try to have that when they were, you know, older when they're adults. So. We see that as well. Mrs. Amadi, what did, like, um, do you want to share the story of what happened with your sister? Sure. Are you comfortable with that? I am. Okay. Um, it, she, she ended up moving out of the house at 19 um, because my mom, we realized she was sick herself. Um, she never got help and she was very angry um, and was very controlling of us. Um, she didn't, my mom didn't like men and she didn't want us ever to go out with guys. Um, so my sister ended up, um, just going out with real idiots. And the first guy she married, um, she was 19 years old. And even back then that was really young. Um, and, um, he ended up being verbally and physically abusive, um, you know, she had a regular wedding, everything seemed hunky-dory. Um, we then found out that she was pregnant, which was, she, it was four years later, um, but he became physically abusive to her and shoved her, and she ended up miscarrying the baby. Um, after that, um, she did divorce him and was on her own for a period of time. Um, by that time, I was, I left too. Um, and got, was going to get my own place and was with my sister. And she made really bad choices with guys um, for shock factor. They were married. Um, and back then, um, 
you know, I'm a little bit older here, so um, it 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 is kind of when was this? This was the early '80s. Um, the shock factor back then is she chose to go out with black guys, and back then that was like a shock, and she did it to get attention. Mm -hmm. um, she ended up with all these different guys, except three of them that I know of. She ended up getting um, female problems, and um, it was disgusting. Um, I ended up moving out from her. You know, I, I adored her, but she was making, and she was very, very smart, but she made really stupid choices with these guys, um, and she had to go to the gynecologist, and she had to get medications, so we'll leave it at that. Mm -hmm. um, she then married um, a second guy, and he was more verbally abusive and was just scum to her. Um, he never worked. My sister was an executive for a financial company by that point. She was very, very business smart and made a very good salary. Um, they did have a child, and um, she found out that he was cheating on her. Um, and so she divorced him in February of 1991 and um, was on her own. But my sister just couldn't be by herself. She needed someone to love her. Um, and she ended up, back then there wasn't the internet, there was the newspaper. And so she went and found ads and found this one guy. And um, she's telling me that he was really, really good to her and wined and dined her. And that's just how she said it. And I said, be careful, you're doing it again. And so we saw her the end of May. Um, she went back home. She just, she said he was moving in with her. I said, just be careful. And especially with my nephew being there now, I was really concerned for him. And it was, we knew something was going on, um, but weren't sure. Emotionally, she was really unstable. And, um, one day, um, July 7th of 1991, I was by my mom's house with my family. I had two children at the time. Um, we got a phone call and we found out in that phone call, number one, she was married and it was my ex-brother-in-law that had called. Thank God he had been with my nephew. And, um, and then after he said, did you know she's married? He proceeded to tell us that this guy, the husband, had shot her with a gun and killed her. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and with like domestic violence in general, is there anything that um, either of you would like prospect students to know or just teenagers in general about the subject? I think it's important to keep in mind that it, it can and does happen to everybody. Um, there is no one, you know, race of people or socioeconomic status or people even think, like you said, your sister was brilliant. It happens to brilliant people. It happens to educated people. It happens to people who come from amazing families. So I think the most important thing to remember is it happens and it can happen to everybody. So you never, it's not the victim's fault, period. Even if they're making decisions that aren't the greatest, it's not their fault. Abusers abuse. So I think that's the number one thing to keep in mind. Um, 
which also helps reduce the stigma. And it's why people are sometimes so afraid to talk about it when they found, find themselves in these situations because then they're embarrassed and they're like, well, I should be smarter. I should have made better decisions. Um, so it's really important not to judge when you suspect it or when someone admits it to you. Um, you guys doing this, this is this amazing. is amazing. Because talking about it and giving other people permission to share their stories, this is so important because most of us, whether we know it or not, know someone who has been impacted by DV. So keep having the conversations, educate yourself on red flags and relationships, Educate yourself on green flags and relationships, not just what don't you want, but what do you want? What feels good when you're with a partner or a friend? Um, I think all of these things are important. Also, what I've learned through the years, and I worked at Wheeling High School as well as here, um, many different situations where girls or guys don't believe in themselves and their self-esteem is so bad. Um, you know, I mentioned that I was really, really heavy and so was my sister. So back then and even today, I get so angered and, um, everyone is beautiful mm-hmm. and how dare people, you know, you, you look at a person, you do not know what is in their head and we need to be kind to everyone. Okay. And on the other side, People that may be listening to this that, you know, you think, oh, how could a high school student be abusive? I want them to listen to this, too, because it may be their moment to go, oh, my gosh, you know, my dad, my mom did this. And what am I doing? And, you know, don't beat yourself up about it but recognize it and try to talk to someone to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was very angry and in my house, everybody yelled. And so when I married my husband was, you know, for whatever reason, I would start yelling and it took a long time. And he was like, why do you have to yell at me? And just that alone, it's, you know, we are, our family too, you're with them all the time. Um, And so, you know, I had said before, um, this whole thing with guns, you know, I'm not making any political statement at all, but um, yeah, what I witnessed, um, I would have never expected from my, for my sister to be with them, with this guy. Um, Her drawers were laced with bullets and guns and she was with this guy and he my daughter my sister my nephew was three years old um she was a sunday school teacher she was in the church choir she was so bright but emotionally i mean i was so angry for a long time Mm -hmm. so i want everybody to listen to those types of things not that that's what's going to end up but you know that is the one thing that I have done if girls come to me. And there have been girls that have come to me and said, I need to go see my counselor. I need to go see my social worker. And they start telling me. Um, that's the first thing I do is embrace them and say, no matter what you look like or whatever, you know, you are important. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, if anyone 
does realize that this is happening to them or is struggling with this issue, um, what kind of support can, um, like, their friends or someone who knows them give them that would be helpful? Well, I think, number one, like I said, listen, without judgment, if they tell you something. Um, I know that sometimes, especially when you really care about someone, you want to rush into action. And, like, sometimes people say, well, I'll be the one to call the police or I'll do not every victim is ready for that. So try to curb your own emotional response and really be present for what they need you to be. Um, ask them, what can I do to support you? Do you just want to talk? Um, helping them come up with a safety plan. If you are feeling unsafe, maybe text me this combination of letters or numbers, you know, whatever, a sentence that you guys come up with that when they say that on the phone, you know, okay, I need to go call someone else or whatever. They're, they're, um, educating yourself is really, really key. Um, there are some organizations that you can start with. Loveisrespect.org, um, I think is the best one for teens. Um, there are some other ones. The National Domestic Violence Hotline is great. They might give you some other resources, but I think especially with high school students, having someone in the school that you know you can talk to that will also kind of help you navigate it and not feeling like, oh no, they told me this big secret and I have to navigate it alone. So reach out to other people, particularly trusted adults, for help as well. Since we're um, since we are a high school and we have teenage students, I was wondering if either of you could list some warning signs in a relationship that might be abusive. One I think that teachers have spoken about, um, and I don't think is a big surprise, is you know if um, you see a student react very startled, um, if they look really sad, um, if they seem depressed in that they're, you know, a really dear friend and you know about them, um, if you see bruises over and over and over, um, be it on their arm, wherever, um, and if they make excuses, um, but as she said, is, um, you know, the first thing um, is not to say, how stupid are you, you know, um, and to react. It's hard. It's really hard because you're in shock hearing this about the student. But, you know, to just try to listen. Um, the other thing is if they become abusive to themselves, if you hear about cutting, if you hear about them trying to take any kind of drug or whatever um, or yeah I mean just listen to them and I wouldn't say are you being abused you know um, but if you're really dear with them you're probably going to get a gut feel. Candy do you have anything to add? Yeah I would say like you said not are you being abused but maybe saying are you okay you know I just I noticed something's different and I think especially with someone you're close to you notice if there's been a major personality shift maybe this person used to be very outgoing and now they're not they don't want to hang out they don't want to you know do the things they used to do um so in terms of what you're seeing in other people i would say that um did you want me to talk about maybe some warning signs if you're the person that's yeah, maybe sure. in a relationship yeah. um obviously any kind of unwanted physical contact of any kind whether that's hitting whether that's somebody who keeps hugging you and you're not comfortable with that um anytime you say no and they don't listen to you or you have to say it several times before they listen to you, 
big red flag, like <laughs> right there. Um, so just again, any kind of physically unwanted or any kind of unwanted physical contact, whether that's actual hitting, or even just somebody who just keeps touching you, um, any kind of sexual contact that you don't want, any kind of um, attempts to coerce you, even into conversations about sex, um, uh, sexting, explicit pictures, even if they're not physically touching you, but they're trying to engage you in conversations that you don't want to have, that's a red flag. Um, yelling, someone trying to control you, you know, I want to access your passwords, what's on your phone, who you're texting, what's on your social media, who's that person you took a picture with, um, you know, somebody trying to control the time that you spend with your friends, well, why, why are you with them, why, why don't you want to spend more time with me, so guilt tripping, um, gaslighting, you know, you know something's wrong, you know they've done something, but they're acting like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know, they're making that up, accusing you of cheating, accusing you of lying, and I would say, Anything that sits in your gut and you just know this does not feel good, I don't feel good when I'm with this person, this doesn't feel right. Listen to that feeling, talk to someone about that feeling. And I think especially um, for young people, like you're supposed to be polite, right? You're supposed to be kind, not if someone's making you feel that way. So, and as soon as you feel that, reach out for help, you know, before it escalates, um, if you can't. But again, if it, if it does escalate, it's not your fault, and you should still reach out for help. Um, is there anything else that you two would like to add about this topic or would like to discuss more? It's really hard when, if you ever are in that situation, to try to get out. But by listening to this today, um, just know um, you guys have created this group that people really, really do care. And you, everyone is special. No matter what you look like, no matter what you think, um, and you know, think of your future, think about your dreams, and believe in yourself as best you can. And go to someone, you know, who you trust. Um, and if that doesn't work, then, that maybe the two of you can go to someone else. That I have seen that happen several times at school where it's she can't talk, but I'm going to talk for her because she's given me permission and we've got to find someone. And that doesn't mean, you know, um, that it shaps, you know, it could be just a counselor, it could be a teacher that you really, really care about and allow the person with the abuse, um, you know to encourage as best you can. I couldn't say any better, and like I said before, what you guys are doing by even having this conversation, putting this out there for your classmates and the student body to hear, this is amazing. So, this is great. <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me here today. Thank you oh, guys so nice. much for coming. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just really excited to see the impact of this and how it will affect students. And I'm so grateful for everyone here um, to participate in that. And yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Uh, this was produced by 
the club Nights for Consent. And if you are interested, uh, the club meets every Tuesday morning in the gymnastics room at 8 a.m. And we're always welcoming new members. So if this podcast um, struck you in any way or inspired you in any way, please feel free to reach out to any of the club members or to myself, Julia Kino, or to Hannah Lefton. And we would just like to thank um, our guests so much on this podcast. And we really do hope that this can make an impact on the prospect student body and staff. Thank you to both the Knights for Consent and Julia Aquino for making that podcast. Make sure to check the Night Voices channel for a Don't Worry Darling review, Bachelorette season review, and Prospect Sports Weekly. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to Night Voices episode 2. This is Kaylee Pasternak, signing off.